Hey, Moving Forward listeners, I'd like to take a quick minute to tell you about my new books. If you've been following the podcast, you'll know that I helped bring my dad's business into the 21st century with Poshmark. I've documented everything we've done so you can start a business right from your closet or expand an existing business with an effective e-commerce solution, even if you don't have a large marketing budget or social media following. The Poshmark Guide for Individuals and Small Businesses is now available in paperback and for Kindle. You can also find the Poshmark Journal for Individuals and Small Businesses with worksheets to help you manage your inventory and negotiate effectively and confidently on the platform. Both titles are available on Amazon, where you can find quick access links at bemovingforward.com or in my link tree, which is in the show notes for today's episode. Start learning and moving forward today. Hey, John Lim here. We're moving forward with episode 399. I hope everyone had a great week. And if uh, you're looking for the write-ups for the most recent episodes, check them out at bemovingforward.com. I have last week's episode, 398, my conversation with Star Ridley, 397. The summer movie series is now a collection page. If you go to bemovingforward.com, you'll see a tab for miniseries, and that's where you'll find all the different collections. I've also added one additional collection, which for some reason slipped my mind as I was putting together the miniseries page. Uh, about a year or two ago, I did a miniseries. I think this was in 2020. I did a miniseries on how to record an audiobook. So for those of you who've been following the podcast, uh, I was an audiobook voiceover for uh, my friend Angelo Spinello, who's been on the show multiple times. He wrote a, a, an award-winning book called I Am a Professional Metalhead, and I had, I had the honor of being the voiceover talent for his book. And what I did um, two years ago is I actually broke down all the steps on how to record a, an audiobook. If you want to be a voiceover talent for audiobooks, if this is something you're interested in, I take you step by step on how to do this uh, from home. And uh, in fact, I would also recommend listen to my conversation with Star Ridley from uh, two weeks ago because she is uh, she's been acting for a long time and she primarily focuses on voiceover work. So that's her concentration. That's a lot of what she does. And in that episode, uh, we talk a little bit about that. And the write up actually has her um, website for her voiceover work. So I do recommend check that out. We're going to cover a couple of things today, and then I will end with an announcement about our big episode 400 celebration, which will be next week. But just a couple things I want to cover today, and I'm going to start off with Cobra Kai. And this is something, I, for some reason, I didn't get around to talking about this last week in the September update, so I'm going to devote part of today's episode to Cobra Kai. Cobra Kai released its fifth season, which is on Netflix, and this is actually a much shorter time window or time frame from releasing it after the prior uh, episode. So typically with shows like this, you might have a year gap. And in fact, when Cobra Kai made the transition from YouTube to Netflix, it was almost a two-year wait to go from uh, seasons two to three. But now uh, season four came out in uh, end of 2021, I think it was right around the new year, or it might have come out right after the new year. I don't quite remember when, 
But now they've released season five. And I can tell you, having watched season five, it is fantastic. I absolutely loved it. I thought it was a wonderful continuation and building upon the the story and the character arcs that they've been developing over the last couple of seasons. It is a staggering achievement. In fact, I really what I, what I think it is, it's it's a combination of several things. And what I want to do is I'm not going to talk about the specifics of the um, the season itself. Uh, I will point out a couple of things. And what I want to do and the purpose of my podcast is I want you to have some takeaways. I want you to have some lessons that may be helpful to you when you're working on certain things or if you're, you know, making changes or making uh, decisions in your life. So first of all, I will make a couple of observations. With most series, most television series, it's really difficult to maintain the momentum of great storytelling, keeping it fresh, keeping the audience engaged. Any show that can do that season after season after season has achieved something really rare and special. And in fact, I think this is true of movies too. If you watch the original Karate Kid films, I love all of the original trilogy films. However, you know, you could tell as you got into the later sequels, it's argued it's arguable that they weren't as good. They were just kind of maybe diminishing a little bit in quality. And I'm going to get to that uh, in, in a little bit later when I talk about Cobra Kai. So keeping up with the quality of a continuation of a story, very difficult. So the first Karate Kid, I think, is just a perfect film. I think the second one is an excellent follow-up. Not quite as good as the first one. Some people would actually say that they love the second one better than the first, and uh, and that's fine. It is still a great sequel. By the time you get to the third one, that's when you start to see some franchise fatigue. It doesn't really hold a candle to the first one. Uh, I, many would say it doesn't hold a candle to the second one. However, despite that, it has a special place in my heart. And uh, for those of you who've been following the podcast, I had William Christopher Ford on about two years ago. He's a phenomenal individual, martial artist, actor, and he was one of the featured co-stars in Karate Kid 3, and we had a great conversation about that, so I, I recommend check that out. But as much as I enjoy Karate Kid 3 for what it is, objectively speaking... It's an example of diminishing returns. As you create more sequels, for most franchises, you start to see that drop in quality. And uh, some people will call that franchise fatigue. And we've seen that even in franchises that do this really well with Marvel. You will see they are, they've got a great record of creating quality films, but you see entries that are a little uneven and not all of them are universally loved by audiences or critics. Star Wars is another example, one that has had a lot of ups and downs. And you see this in a lot of films. You see this in a lot of TV shows. A lot of shows will have a great first season. They may have an excellent second season. By the time you get to the third, sometimes you start to see the cracks and then by the and then fourth and fifth, really hard to maintain that kind of momentum. Season five, I mean, I thought season four was phenomenal. I, I absolutely love season four. And in fact, I will give you my Cobra Kai seasons rating uh, in term ranking in terms of all the different seasons. Season four actually currently ranks as my favorite. I was 
excited about season five, but at the same time, I was a little worried. Can they keep up this momentum? Can they continue to engage the audience at the same level that the prior seasons had done? And the answer, for me at least, was a resounding yes. I absolutely loved season five. Uh, It's a wonderful achievement in storytelling, in acting, writing, cinematography. They really up the level, I think, on all of these aspects. So what is it about Cobra Kai, and in particular season five, that stands out? I will say this is something that I talked about in the summer movie series when I talked about Top Gun Maverick. It is, first of all, reverence to the source material. And as I mentioned earlier, when you look at the original sequels, there's arguably a diminishing returns quality with the later films. However, Cobra Kai does something exceptionally rare. It actually elevates those original movies, including the first one, which is a perfect film, but it elevates the second and third film. That is a very rare, rare feat. Just like with Top Gun Maverick, which enhances the lore. It enhances the story and the beats and the characters that came in the first movie. Cobra Kai actually is that analogy of the high tide raising all ships. It actually elevates the prior films. And that is, I think, credit to the three creators, the three writers, the main writers. I think they've got a whole team of writers. But the three creators, the the brain thrust behind Cobra Kai started out as diehard Karate Kid fans. And I think that is part of the key to Cobra Kai's success and why it is so beloved by both legacy fans of the original Karate Kid films and new fans because they have captured what was the magic, the magical elements of those first films. What made those first movies so revered and so beloved And they have really taken that, deconstructed it, reconstructed it, expanded, and built upon it. And that's the way it's done. And this is the part that I think is amazing. When Cobra Kai was first announced, I think one of the ongoing questions, especially among old school fans, was, is it just going to be a sequel to the first movie? Or is it going to include the later films and you see this trend and there there are a lot of um, films that are revisiting legacy properties which ignore some of the lesser sequels or some of the sequels that were a little bit uneven and you see this a lot in uh, I think especially in the horror genre sometimes in the sci-fi genre and it can get very confusing if you see something that is a modern chapter or a current chapter and yet it selectively chooses which part of its past it's going to include in its canon. To me, I've always found that very jarring. Now, I I get it. It is really hard to continue the continuity of something that can get very messy in its lore. There Sometimes there are contradictory story elements, things like that. And sometimes I, I understand it can be easier to just what they call retcon, certain things that don't work or don't hold up, and then just simply say, well, this is a kind of a clean slate. We're selectively choosing what we're uh, building upon. What I am most impressed about Cobra Kai is that they actually made a rule, and they, they started with this particular rule 
and spawn something called the Miyagi-verse. And that's basically that they consider anything in which the late, great Pat Morita, who played Mr. Miyagi, anything he appeared in is canon. And that includes the four Karate Kid films. So you had Karate Kid Part 1, 2, and 3, which was really the, the story of Daniel and Mr. Miyagi. And then you've got a later sequel, The Next Karate Kid, in which Miyagi does appear and he's training a new student. So they consider all of that part of the Miyagi-verse were part of the canon. And from there, they have the, the, the playground. They have the rules of the playground in which to build their continuation. They also made a deliberate decision, and a smart one, to ignore the short-lived animated series. There was an animated one-season cartoon series of The Karate Kid. I remember it came out shortly after Karate Kid 3, and it's very, it's as with a lot of cartoons from the 80s, it was very fantastical. It took um, an established mythology and kind of took it to its to its really extreme in terms of fantasy elements. And this was a trend. This was a big trend in the 80s and 90s to do that. So they decided that's not going to count. They also discounted the 2010 remake of The Karate Kid, which I actually enjoyed. I actually enjoyed it, um, but I think they made the smart decision to consider that its own universe and not include that here. So once they've established the groundwork, they were able to create this arc. They were able to envision this large canvas upon which they could build the story. And what I have heard repeatedly in interviews with the creators is that they already have mapped out the end of the show, where where this is going. And in fact, as I'm recording this, it was just announced that a new Karate Kid film, Sony, which is the studio that owns part of the rights to the Karate Kid, will be producing a new film set in this universe. There are no details about it yet, but because it's set in this universe, I'm guessing that it's going to be the continuation uh, of this story, of some of these characters that we've seen uh, throughout the last couple of seasons of Cobra Kai and obviously building off of the foundations of the original films. So there is this long stretch of continuity. And when you think of continuity, I talked about this with the summer movie series with um, a little bit when I talked about my review of Bronx Tale. And I mentioned that superhero films are what we normally think of when we think of universe building. I think Cobra Kai and The Karate Kid is an excellent example of universe building and world building and just starting with a lore and just building upon it layer by layer. And one of the big takeaways, as I've mentioned, is that the creators already know where they're headed with this. And in fact, even listening to interviews from before the first season came out, they already had mapped out a lot of the story. I don't know how much detail they had filled in. I don't know if they had all the story beats, but they had a general outline of where they're going to begin, where this story is going to go, and where it's going to end. And I think that is part of the secret. And where, where I'm going with this is that I think it is so important to have your arc planned. Everything that you do in terms of your content, uh, if you're writing a book, and this week I actually coached a a friend and a, a colleague of hers, they're launching a podcast. I'm very happy with them. So I spent some time with them over Zoom talking about 
the the what is involved in launching a podcast and I, and I said to them and I've said this on this on the podcast on on my podcast several times the most important thing I think you need to start out with is your exit understand and map out what your show is going to look like you don't have to have all the details filled in but have a general map of your beginning middle and end and I will talk about this more uh, as we move into the fall, and I'm going to do an updated podcast mini series because, uh, as I mentioned um, uh, uh, throughout the summer, uh, migrating my podcast, I've had to do a lot of back end work. And one of the things that I've been mindful of is that podcasting now is easier to get into than it ever was. However, some of the challenges that have been constant with a lot of content creators, especially in podcasting, is that a lot of people will start, but they don't know exactly where to go, where they get discouraged and they give up too soon. So I think it's important to have a map, a roadmap of your content. And with a podcast, I always say start with your exit first. Map out how many seasons and episodes you're going to do, because I guarantee you, you're not going to be doing this forever. And this is probably the piece of advice I get the most resistance on. So many people say, wow, I I don't want to do that. I don't want to box myself in. And I I will tell you, podcasting and keeping up with this kind of content is not easy week after week after week. It is a commitment. It requires a lot of discipline. There are days where you might not feel the energy to do it. But if you have an exit, If you have a roadmap, it'll make it that much easier to stay motivated. Same thing with writing a book. And uh, I just recently released uh, my latest book, The Poshmark Guide uh, for Individuals, and uh, the Companion Journal, The Poshmark Seller Journal. That had a very definitive arc, a beginning, middle, and end. I mapped that out, that here is what I envision this book looking like. Here is basically the the broad strokes. And it was really just reverse engineering the plan to get to that stage. And if you listen to the writer series, so many of the writers that I interviewed talk about similar ideas, ways to stay motivated. Part of that is having some sort of finish line. And it's different for different writers, but really a lot of it is having a goal and working towards that goal and breaking down the different steps. I think very similarly with a show like Cobra Kai, you have to have that roadmap. You have to know where you're going because I've seen so many examples of shows that have really just lost their direction and they feel like uh, they they peter out, they, they lose steam. And th- there are plenty of examples of shows which feel like they overstayed their welcome. And you can tell that they're just that they're just kind of continuing on because it's so popular when they probably should have ended uh, a little bit sooner. And unfortunately, you see countless examples of shows that had such strong beginnings, but they continue on probably past their due date, and you see diminishing returns with each each sequel. Uh, But a great story, I think, has a plan behind it. And Cobra Kai is a great example of this. Uh, any content that you're producing, your career, look in terms of your career and think about 
each step of your career as part of that story that you're building, part of that arc. You may be at the beginning of your career journey. Maybe you just graduated from school. Maybe you're transitioning to a new job or thinking about a new job. Always think about where this part of your life, this part of your career fits into your story, your arc. And I, I think if you re- really map it out, if you once in a while take a look at the 10,000-foot view of your life, your career, the content you're creating, I think that can be very beneficial and keep you motivated, keep you energized, and keep you going. Obviously, if you haven't seen Cobra Kai, uh, I highly recommend you check it out. In fact, if you haven't seen The Karate Kid, I recommend at the very minimum watch the first film and then watch Cobra Kai. So here's my ranking in reverse order i will say season four still remains my my favorite it is i thought season four was the culmination of so many different uh story arcs and things that they had set up in the prior seasons followed behind that very close is season three i absolutely love season three i know a lot of fans uh, don't rank season three as high i absolutely loved it i love the backstory of a lot of the characters I think they gave really setting up the introduction of the Terry Silver character or the reintroduction of the Terry Silver character for season four. That was beautifully set up. And of course, you've got uh, plenty of returning characters from the original films in season three. So beautifully done. Season five is a close. It's almost tied with season three. But I, I would put it, if I had to do a strict ranking, I would put it uh, in third place, really very close to, to season three, in my opinion. Season one, uh, I rank four. Now, I know that, that can be uh, a lot of people hold season one in the highest regard, and I totally get that. I love season one. Season one is absolutely special because it really is uh, a callback to the first film, and in if you want to talk about realism and grounding, it's probably the most grounded out of all the seasons. I love season one. So the fact that I put it four, fourth doesn't mean that I don't like it. I love it. And it and believe me, with these rankings, we're talking about minor gradations between them. We're not talking about big gaps between one, two, three, and four. So, you know, if we're kind of grading on a curve, I mean, these are all A, grade A uh, seasons. My fifth ranking, and the only one that I think is a little bit uneven, is season two. I, I would maybe give that an A minus, as opposed to the fir- first four seasons, which I give an A. I would give season two maybe an A minus. I still love it. I still love all of the seasons. So that's my ranking. Um, but of course, everyone has their favorite seasons, and it's really cool to see uh, where everyone falls in that. All right, moving on, let's talk a little bit about happiness. And I want to share a fantastic resource, one that I recommend all of you take a look at and explore. Uh, I've been really um, just trying to manage so many different things, you know, with the summer, with uh, the book, the podcast, and so many different um, moving parts. And I, I, w- I wanted to take some time to really focus a little bit on mindfulness. And I came across, I think I read an article, I think someone had posted it on online or I'd seen it on Facebook or something, that Yale University has a course. It is called The Science of Well-Being. It's also really just known as the quote-unquote happiness course. 
It is offered on Coursera, and this course is offered for free. It is actually Yale University, Yale University's most popular course, as I understand it. Um, I think several million people have taken this course, and it, and it has across the board positive reviews. As I'm recording this episode, I'm about just about halfway through the course. So uh, you can take it at your own pace. It's an online course. It's self-paced. And again, it is a free course. There is a, cre- if you want to get some sort of certificate, you I think it's like uh, there is a fee for that. But if you just want to take the class and and do the assignments and, and just really, just for your own benefit, uh, you don't have to pay anything to take the course. So it is offered for free. At least I, I'm assuming they're going to keep it free as of the time of the recording of this episode. So I'll have it linked in the write-up. Do check it out. But I want to share a couple of takeaways that I've learned about the science of well-being and happiness, and uh, a concept that I've real that has really resonated with me is one that the uh, professor and I believe it's her name is Lori Santos. I and I'll have to look it up. I think that's her name. Uh, she does a fantastic job. So the way the course is structured, it is a series of video lectures. There are homework assignments, which are really, I think, great to do. You know, everything from journaling to observations. They really challenge you to do things that uh, will jog you out of a routine, interrupt the routine patterns. Because sometimes being in a rut or being in a routine can impact your satisfaction and your happiness on a, even on a, a momentary level. So it's a series of video lectures. There are supplemental readings uh, and there's a lot of um, uh, material that reference material that you can look at their supplemental videos and you can pick and choose at, at the very minimum uh, for the course. There's a series of lectures, and then there are homework assignments. That's kind of the the bare minimum, and then there are additional resources. I've learned a tremendous amount, and I will say that just applying some of these simple exercises has really, you know, improved my mood. It has given me a little more energy, a little more pep. So I want to share one of the concepts that I think is the cornerstone of understanding happiness and the the science of well-being and just being satisfied uh, with your life. And it is a concept that the professor talks about, and I'm just going to give the the, uh, two-cent summary version the lecture does. I'm not going to be able to do it justice, uh, but but the professor gives a very great uh, lecture on this, and I do recommend take it. Um, It's called hedonic adaptation. And this, this concept of, well... We tend to think of the next thing in our life to make us happy, whether it's getting the new job or it's getting the latest, um, you know, you know, uh, the latest model of the iPhone or the new car or the new house. And we, we think about all of these uh, kind of concrete acquisition milestones. And what the data shows is that acquiring new things or even leveling up, making more money in terms of your salary, there is a level of happiness you will attain from that. But when it comes to acquiring more things, your mind, your your emotional 
uh, satisfaction from that acquisition is fairly temporal. It's very temporary. So if you get the latest model of the iPhone, if you get that new car, you're going to feel happiness. However, it's going to be fleeting because over time, that new thing becomes your new normal. Similarly, if you go from making a certain amount of money and let's say you take on a new job and you're making a lot more where you get that promotion, yes, that's going to bring you more happiness. You'll be able to to do more things than you could before and maybe... Um, uh, you know, you have that extra money to, to acquire more things. However, that eventually also becomes your new normal. And I see this a lot where people are so excited uh, about the newest thing that they've just acquired. And, you know, for the first couple of weeks, it's great, but very quickly it becomes part of your new normal such that you don't derive as much satisfaction from that. And the professor gives a great example. You buy that new car, that new sports car that you've been wanting for a long time and you love it but a year from now two years from now five years from now it's the same sports car and it's 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 probably older if you've taken good care of it you know hopefully it it looks as good as when you bought it but it may have a few nicks or scratches it it's the same thing it's the same car and you're not deriving as much joy from it as when you first got it because it's now part of your new normal so uh one of the ways that we can maximize our happiness is to focus less on acquiring more things and more on thing more on joyful experiences and joyful experiences can be anything from travel to getting together with friends for dinner to even mixing up your routine if you're driving or if you're taking a walk mix up the the route that you take to get there because that can break the pattern of what they call hedonic adaptation where you're basically breaking that pattern and you're breaking the um, the kind of the the normalcy that this thing has become part of your life so give that a try and even with little things if you have like the favorite coffee place you go to a favorite ice cream shop I'm a creature of habit, so I tend to get the same thing every time I go. So what I've done is I've mixed it up. I'll order a different flavor of something, you know, when it's a cup of coffee or something like that. And I might not like that flavor as much, but then what I find is that when I go back to my favorite flavor, I experience a renewed joy from that. Because if I just drink the same flavor cup of coffee every day, I get used to it very quickly such that it's not bringing me as much joy. Think about your favorite food. Uh, I I love pizza, but if I eat pizza every day, I'm going to get sick of it really quickly. So that's why I, in addition to the fact that it's not very healthy, but I, I eat pizza once in a while. And that's why I feel joy from it is because I'm I have that break. It's not part of my normalcy. It's not part of my normal routine. And that's why we experience more joy from things like travel or, you know, having a a cup of coffee or going out for a meal with friends, even just spending quality time taking a walk. They're temporal. They're temporary experiences. They don't become part of your normal if they're fleeting. And that's one of the ways that we can maximize our happiness is to, is to focus on that, to break what they call the hedonic adaptation. Now, when it comes to things that you already have, let's say that car, and again, this is not in any way, shape, or form saying that you should not get the new car that you want or the new watch that you want. 
But how do you appreciate the things that you already have? Now, this part I thought was very interesting. And there are two mental exercises that can be very helpful for this. So one is called the uh, It's a Wonderful Life uh, uh, scenario, in which if you've ever seen It's a Wonderful Life, you see the main character, uh, Jimmy Stewart. He's kind of uh, in a in a rut, and um, he thinks that everyone would be better off if he never existed. So he's visited by an angel who shows him what everyone's life would be like if he had never, I think, never been born or if he had never made the the choices that he did. And he shows that, in fact, he's had a great impact on a lot of people's lives. Uh, the It's a Wonderful Life exercise is basically, uh, and, and this works very well with interpersonal relationships. So think about if you've been with uh, a significant other or a spouse for a long time, you know, maybe you don't quite feel the romantic feelings that you did when you first were dating. Uh, and hedonic adaptation works, you know, the data from the course that I've learned is that things like uh, marriage and, um, you know, friendships and relationships, there is a plateau. There's usually like a two-year period in which you're feeling that excitement of the newness, but then it eventually you you just kind of level off because it becomes part of your new normal. So one of the ways you can break that is to think of the wonderful life scenario in which you imagine what it would be like if you had not met your significant other or spouse. Think about uh, how your life might be might not be as good, and that will bring you that appreciation of you know having that person in your life. Another exercise which she uh, specifically shared with her students because uh, the the course was recorded. It's an actual course of Yale students who are taking this, and it's a great example. She asked them to imagine, you know, what it's like, what it was like when they first got accepted to Yale because she she said, and you you can kind of tell, you're all already Yale students, so you probably don't feel that excitement every morning when you wake up, oh, I'm a Yale student, I'm at the one of the best schools in the country. But she, she asked them, she said, if you want to break that hedonic adaptation, every once in a while, imagine and go back and replay in your mind the moment you got accepted to Yale, or that moment that you got that new job, or that moment that you got that new car or that new promotion, Think about that. Just replay it in your mind. And she recommends do this for eight minutes and you will recapture some of that joy. You will recapture some of the 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 emotions that you felt at that time. It's basically replaying parts of your life. It's almost like going back and watching a favorite movie. Speaking of Cobra Kai and Karate Kid, watching your favorite movie and, and getting that that experience. There's so many concepts like this and it's a great great course. So I'm going to recommend that um, you check it out. It is available on Coursera. Right now, at least it's free. I'm hoping that they keep it that way. I'm guessing that they will. It's been uh, out for, I think, for a couple of years now. I'll have it linked in the write-up for today's um, episode. All right. Uh, I want to share a quick tech tip. I first talked about this on episode 338, and I'll have that linked in the write-up. But the Notes app is one of my favorite go-to apps. I continue to use it to this day. And the Notes app on the iPhone has really, it's so powerful. I I used to use it just to jot down notes, literally just jot down scratch notes. Uh, But now 
they've added functionalities. You can actually create a uh, chart with columns and rows. So if you're organizing things, so I was actually just using it to organize uh, the moving forward episodes. So sometimes I'll have different parts or if I'm um, scheduling guests, I'll actually use the notes app and I can create a grid. You can do bullet point lists and I use this when I go to uh, to the store, to grocery shop. I'll check off what I need and then check them off as I get them <laughs> into my cart. Very simple way of using the Notes app, but it's effective. And third, you now have a built-in scanner, which I think is so cool. It used to be that if you wanted to scan documents, you had to download a third-party app. The Notes app natively on the iPhone will do that for you. You basically uh, have a camera icon. You open it up. I recommend put your document on a solid background. Usually, if you have like a white piece of paper, put it on a darker background, just something solid, and then just point your camera right on top. And uh, if you open up the camera icon under the Notes app, It'll actually capture the four corners of the document, and then once you snap the photo, it'll actually put it into the Notes app, which you can then export uh, as a PDF, and it works really, really well. The resolution is very good, so I recommend the Notes app. It still continues to be one of my favorite ones. And I refer you back to episode 338, where I talk about the basic features of the Notes app, and I'll have that linked in the write-up. All right, next week is episode 400, a big celebration. I've got an exciting episode planned. This one is going to be available on video. So if you have it, if you have Spotify or if you have the Spotify app, you'll be able to watch the video version on Spotify. Uh, The audio version will stream out to all the other podcast channels, but it's going to be a big celebration. I have some returning guests from across the many seasons who are going to be Uh, coming back to share a little bit of what they've been up to and some uh, words of wisdom. And I will also have a big announcement about the podcast as well. So join us next week. We're going to have a big celebration for episode 400. All right, the write-up for today's episodes at bemovingforward.com. Have a great week. Have a great weekend. And I'll be back next week. You can find the write-up for today's episode at bemovingforward.com. The views expressed by any featured guests are not necessarily those of the host, the program, or affiliates. Moving Forward is produced by John Lim and BeMovingForward.com. All rights reserved.